0: Our gospel lesson this morning is found in Matthew chapter 9. We're reading verses 18 through 34. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. And as they were going, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute and brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word today, we confess that in us there is darkness, but in your Son there is light. In us there is blindness, but in your Son there is sight. And God, we confess that in us there is great poverty and need, but it's in your Son that there are riches. And so we come today and we ask for wisdom Lead us in your truth and teach us today by your spirit. And may we look to Jesus. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Several years ago, I was on a day hike with my sons along the Appalachian Trail. We decided to extend our hike and return to the car via a different route. This seemed like a good idea at the time. We had some sketchy information from a guidebook, and then we began to note that the trail junctions where we were were not well marked. We had a phone that was helping guide us through the many different sections, and that was brilliant until we lost cell phone coverage. And so we arrived at one particular junction. It was a moment of great consequence, and we were of divided opinions about which way to go. There was a turn to the left, and there was a turn to the right. From our memory, we knew that if we went the wrong way, we would be roughly nine miles away from the car. So it was important to get this right. We had to make a decision. We had to commit. And it's at this point in Matthew's gospel where the crowds following Jesus are at a similar consequential moment. They had to make a decision. They had to commit. They'd heard Jesus' teaching. They'd seen the mighty deeds that he was doing as he rescued men and women from disease, as he rescued men and women from demons, as he rescued men and women from death, and as he rescued men and women from their sins and their consequences. Now what will the response be? In verses 33 and 34, we see the two options. It is to the right or it is to the left. There's a response of faith that marvels at Jesus and entrusts the self to him. Or there's a retreat into unbelief that dismisses Jesus and explains him away. Our passage this morning focuses on the response of saving faith, what it means to receive Jesus through a distraught father, a desperate woman, two blind men, and a mute man. And specifically, we're going to see three things about the characteristics of saving faith and what that faith involves. But first, we'll see that faith involves need. Second, we'll see that faith involves confidence. And finally, we'll see that faith involves an object. And so let's consider each of these briefly. First, we see that saving faith involves need. In this section of Matthew, each of the people presented to us as examples of saving faith share one common trait. That common trait is that each of them is in desperate need. They face a problem within our fallen world to which they can find no answer. There is no solution. They are at the end of their resources. A father who's the ruler of a local synagogue loses his daughter, and he knows there is nothing that can be done. He has no resource, no power that he can harness, no one that he can call upon. He is in desperate need left to himself. There's a woman who at no fault of her own experiences debilitating and socially isolating blood loss. She was considered unclean, according to the Levitical law. There are two blind men and a mute man. And as invalids and cripples, as those suffering from disabilities, they would have been shoved to the margins of first century society. Yes, the common denominator that unites these people is their suffering under the pains of a fallen world in which things are not as they are supposed to be. This is the denominator that unites them. They are in desperate need, and they actually cannot conceal that need, and that need cannot be contained. It's exposed. Their weaknesses are known. They are so desperate that they're even willing to step outside of what was socially acceptable, They expose themselves in various ways. You see that the father comes to Jesus, asks him to come to the house. And when Jesus arrives at the house, the mourners are already assembled. And in first century culture, the mourners would come out of obligation and they would sing songs and they would clap and different rituals would uh, would be taking place. And Jesus tells them to leave. The father was to be hosting them as they joined in his grief and in his mourning, and Jesus dismisses them. And the father was willing to do that because he was venturing that Jesus could do something to address this need, but he was willing to enter into that. And we learned that the crowds actually laughed at Jesus. There was scorn, but it was the father's need that made him willing to endure it. The woman pressed through the crowds just to touch the tassel on Jesus' garment. Though she was classified as unclean by those purity laws, she risked the public exposure. She risked touching Jesus and making him unclean as well because of her great need. And then the two blind men, they cried out to Jesus for help. And Jesus somewhat passes by them and we're told that they followed him into the house Most likely Peter's house. They followed him there and they persisted, insisting that they gain an audience with him. They were unwanted house guests. They were in desperate need, which made them lose consciousness of social appearances. And friends, this is the precondition of saving faith, is to recognize that desperate need. It's what opens us to faith and seeing the need for something from the outside to come and to deliver us. And the problem for us, though, is that desperate need is also what we, desire to des- we desperately desire to avoid it. Several years ago, A very successful lawyer attended a service here at Christ Church, and after the sermon, he expressed his displeasure with what I had communicated. It's not my first merry-go-round on that, and so we decided to set up a lunch to discuss that displeasure. Over lunch, he explained that he was a man of science, a man of rationality, and so he had always struggled greatly with the faith, even though he was familiar with Christianity. And so he presented his objection to Christianity as a matter of his intellect, that this is what the stumbling block was. However, as he shared about his life, one thing became increasingly clear about his objection to Christianity, and that objection had very little to actually do with his great intellect. As a kid, his family had lost everything, they had been deprived of all of their resources, they were forced into Poverty. It was horrific to actually hear the details, and it opened your heart to him with great compassion. And rather impressively, he climbed out of all of that poverty and all of that suffering, putting himself through high school, through college, through graduate school. He had made it, he was a success. And the one thing that was clear in the course of the conversation is that he was going to avoid at all cost, ever being put in a position of need again. And this was really the objection to Christianity. Because at the heart of the message, at the heart of the gospel, there's a profound statement that you and I are in desperate need and that we're out of resources and we can do nothing to fix the situation and problem that condemned in our sins and lost in a world that has been condemned under the weight of sin, we can do nothing to fix it. Isolated and separated from God. And for many, in their pride, they simply will resist it. Because being in need, being needy, doesn't comport with who they are. But friends, at the heart of the Christian gospel, this is what we must grasp that we are people in need. We cannot serve ourselves in this situation, in this problem. And this is what the father, this is what the woman, this is what the two blind men all knew, that they could do nothing to rectify their situation. The second characteristic of faith that we see here, though, is that it also involves confidence. Looking across those three main healings, the other common feature is their response to Jesus. The father, the woman, and the blind men each have confidence that Jesus is able to do something about their desperate need. They believe that Jesus' word can actually overcome their deep trouble. If you follow in verse 18, the father says it to Jesus, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. It's easy to miss the juxtaposition that's present in that verse. My father has just died. And then focus on the next word. But if you come, she will live. There's a sense of expectation and confidence that this man, Jesus, can do something about this need of his daughter just having died. But, then verse 21, the woman suffering from the hemorrhage, she says to herself, and Jesus perceives her thought, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Again, the confidence is striking. If I only can touch his garment, it can almost look superstitious. But if I can only touch his garment, then I will be healed, I'll be whole socially restored, physically restored. Verse 28, Jesus asked the blind men, after they had tracked him down and invited themselves into the house, they say, he says, do you believe that I am able to do this? And their wonderful answer, yes, Lord. They believed that he was able. Now, this doesn't mean just because they had confidence that their faith was perfect and without questions and answers and certain doubts or certain struggles. But there was a confidence that Jesus' word was stronger than their situations. And friends, does your faith involve this sort of confidence in the promises of the gospel? When you experience the guilt and the shame of your sin— And then when you hear the word of the gospel that your sins have been forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus, do you say, yes, Lord? Is that your response? Yes, Lord. Even though that's not how my circumstances feel, but yes, Lord. Your word is stronger. Your word is truer. When you find yourself hung up in the snare of sin and you hear Jesus say, That through his death and resurrection, that he promises to set you free, to disentangle you, to set you upon the path of a new endeavor after obedience. How do you respond? Do you say, yes, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, but yes, Lord, your word is true, your word is stronger, your word is more certain. When you find yourself discouraged by the strength of evil in our world, the injustice, the violence, the corruption, the apathy half-heartedness of the church, and you hear the promise of the gospel that God one day will make everything new and will make everything right, what's your response to that promise? Is it to say, yes, Lord? When you stare down at your own mortality, when you feel the weakness of your own body, when you know very clearly that your days are numbered, feel all of that and you hear the promise of the gospel that God will one day raise your body imperishable to live before him in a new heavens and new earth, that he will take it from dust and he will restore it. How do you respond? Do you say yes, Lord? This is the expectation. This is the confidence that Jesus is inviting us into in a saving faith is to grab hold of those great gospel promises and through all the seasons of life in our desperate need to look to him and say, yes, if only you come, if only you show up, only you are able. Yes, Lord. It's two words. It's the sinner's prayer to say yes to the promises of the gospel. Third and final characteristic of faith that we find here is that faith also involves an object. In these healings, it's important to note that faith is not simply optimistic thinking. It's also not a general hope that things are just somehow going to get better. It's not belief in a generic supernatural force that will perhaps help us out. No, faith here is trust in an object, specifically a person. This becomes very clear in the healing of the two blind men. After following him into the house, Jesus asked the question, do you believe that I am able to do this? They had been crying out to him, have mercy on us, son of David. This is what they were crying out to him. And they are actually the first people in the Gospel of Matthew to use this title for Jesus. They were recognizing that Jesus fulfilled a certain office. That he was the one sent by God to fulfill the promises made to David that one of his sons would sit upon his throne forever. And though blind, they had a spiritual perception that no one else had. From their need and from their devastation and from their loss, they could see Jesus. And they were crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. And they knew that the son of David, in accord with all the great promises of Isaiah 35, particularly if you follow in verses 4 through 6, that this son of David, he would come And that he would come on this great day of God. And it was on that day that the blind would see, that the mute would begin to sing, that the lame would walk, that there would be great joy as all the impacts of sin in our world were undone. And they could see, despite their blindness, that that day was breaking into the world in this man. And so faith has this object. It is Jesus, that faith has to be directed to him. And friends, it's not the quality or the strength of your faith that then saves you. Undoubtedly, this father, this woman, and these blind men, and the other mute, they had abundant reasons to be cynical, to doubt. But we're told they believed. They believed expectantly. And friends, what saves us is not that quality or strength of our faith, but it is rather the person that we believe in. He says repeatedly in our passage, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you because what we are doing is looking to Jesus. And when we look to him, even with the smallest amount of faith, his infinite resources are at our disposal. And all the treasures of the gospel we can then dig up and they become ours. In God's grace and in God's mercy and he pours them out. And so we look to him, the object of faith. And friends, we come with the crowd. That crowd that was witnessing all that Jesus was doing. They had heard his teachings about the kingdom. They had seen strange things the kingdom's power being exhibited. And we come to an intersection, and there's a turn to the left, and there is a turn to the right. And it's a moment of great consequence. And we have to ask ourselves the question, which way are we going? Which way do we go with this Jesus? Because the one option is not just to stand there thinking that if we just stay still that everything will be okay. No, we're forced to the right or to the left. That's the consequence of the moment as the kingdom comes and as all that power comes to bear. And Jesus is calling us to venture out on him in faith. He's calling us to come in our need, in all of that brokenness of our sinful humanity, and all of the consequences that come with it all the mortality, all the alienation, all the shame. He invites us to come, and he invites us to find healing. He invites us to come confidently, expectantly, that he's the one who alone who can address these deep needs. And he invites us to come to him personally, putting our faith in him, not a generic faith, not a blind or an unknown God but the God who's come amongst us and entered into our own pain and suffering and taken it all to the cross, that he could neutralize it, that he could receive it into himself, that he could destroy it, and that he could bring us to himself. Friends, this is the Jesus who invites us to turn and to follow him because of all of the great things, of the teaching, of the mighty deeds, that the great day of God has come to the earth in him. And so let's follow. Let's take up that saving faith and let's say, yes, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we confess our desperate need and we also confess how desperately we desire to avoid seeing it. That we don't want to look at ourselves in this way, but you invite us to do so today today. To join with this father, with this woman, with these two blind men, and to cry out, have mercy on us, son of David. And we ask, God, that you build up our confidence in all of your promises. Help us in our weakness, that we would respond with the blind men and say yes to you. And Lord, we ask that our, our Lord Jesus would always be the object of our faith, captured by him, that we would look to him. In great confidence of all that you have promised. That all of your promises to us are yes and amen in him. Help us. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.